Welcome to Decoding Security. Jessica and Michael are discussing endpoint security, which along with some of the website security tactics we've discussed previously, can help build a complete security solution for your website. But before we get into that, what's going on in the world of cybersecurity right now? This week, we have another ransomware infection similar to earlier infections, WannaCry and Petya. This one being dubbed Bad Rabbit hit the Ukraine and Russia the hardest, but also had impact in Turkey, Germany, and Bulgaria. The infected devices specifically targeted Russian media outlets, as well as the Kiev Metro, which is the Ukrainian subway system, and the Odessa International Airport in Kiev as well. Kaspersky is reporting that it appears to use some legitimate open source encryption software called Discord that drops from a phony Adobe Flash Player update that was found on a compromised Russian media website. The infection then encrypts all of the files on the infected system and demands half of a Bitcoin or approximately 290 US dollars for decryption. As usual, authorities are recommending against paying the ransom to get your files back as there is no guarantee that would even work. And this is yet another lesson in maintaining accurate backups and an incident response plan. This weekend was WordCamp Phoenix 2017, and we saw a lot of great talks. My personal highlights, uh, Mike Demo from BoldGrid had a talk about the open source community and how we need to sort of stop dividing ourselves into these little camps, WordPress here, Joomla there, Drupal here, and really come together as one larger community for the betterment of all open software. And Rachel Cherry, who is senior software engineer at Disney and the director of WP Campus, talked about the value of side projects, both for personal development and sanity, the virtue of building something for yourself just sort of for fun or even for some extra money on the side, but something that you are personally taking enjoyment in and seeing other people get use out of. It really resonated with me and it, it told me that I need to get back and roll up my sleeves and sort of knock the dust off of my GitHub. But possibly even more important than the talks themselves was the community. There was an attendance of individuals from all sides of the industry, from hosts to developers to business owners, and it was just an amazing opportunity to meet all sorts of interesting people. I got to answer a lot of questions from the community about security, and I got to rep the podcast a little bit too. So if we met this weekend and you're listening now, thank you so much. It's good to have you here. Happy Halloween from the Decoding Security crew here. Today we're getting into some of the scarier parts of cybersecurity in honor of the last week of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. The theme this week is protecting critical infrastructure from cyber threats. The reason that's kind of scary and honestly, I think probably very scary is because you get into stuff like water and power plants, telecommunications, the things that we rely on day to day get taken for granted when it comes to cybersecurity. We don't do enough to protect them. We've seen evidence of critical infrastructure being compromised both abroad and here in the States. The biggest attack being the ransomware that affected the Ukraine, causing many of their power companies to crash and their customers to have blackouts as well as in San Francisco, where critical systems were exposed and data theft is suspected in many of the power companies, as well as critical infrastructure on the front end and what actually powers the electricity being exposed to hackers. 
the common thread between these sort of attacks is going to be a lack of endpoint security, which is what we're talking about. Now, an endpoint is going to go by a number of different meanings depending on how far up the chain you're talking to. But the bottom line is it's the machine you're sitting in front of, whether that's your desktop, the laptop you bring home, your phone, tablet. We could even go back and throw back to our IoT episode. The refrigerator that can buy your groceries is one endpoint of another network. But in this context, we're talking about the business networks uh, and the computers that make up the companies that are being affected by this sort of thing. The main difference between endpoint security basics and kind of what we've talked about in previous episodes of website security basics is that endpoint is really more targeted towards the business end, the organization, systematic security, things like filtering what websites your employees can go to, managing how often they have to change their passwords, universal antivirus software on every system in in an organization. Those are things that are going to fall under the kind of fundamentals of endpoint security. We can contrast this with some previous topics we've had, mostly centering around web security. And interestingly, the Equifax breach that we can't uh, seem to stop talking about, that is not an example of something regarding endpoint security. That was a web server up there for the whole internet to talk to. Now, we're not here to tell you how to manage your enterprise-level IT infrastructure. That's going to be a heck of an undertaking, and I'm sure you're paying somebody much better than you're paying us to listen to this podcast to figure that out for you. But what we can talk about is, as an end user, as the person sitting in front of your computer, what can you do to help? What sort of mistakes can you avoid making, and how can you really be an example of a secure user? So when you talk about the kind of real world endpoint security or being a secure human being, treating yourself as the endpoint. You're talking about things like not leaving your laptop or your phone unlocked and unattended in a public place. You know, when you go to Starbucks, when you get up to order another coffee, lock your laptop, take your phone with you. Don't leave vital information up where just anybody could see it or walk away with it. Everybody's got a camera on their smartphone now. They could walk past your laptop without you even seeing it, take a screenshot of your screen with their phone and walk away with all of your vital information. It's not that hard. Don't open suspicious email attachments. And when I say that, I mean things from unknown sources or when you're not expecting them. If they're strange file types, like seven zips that you weren't expecting or an exe when somebody said they were sending you a PDF, obviously don't download those files. And if you didn't order anything that requires a DHL delivery, don't open that DHL delivery receipt. Exactly. Yeah. Be aware of phishing and spear phishing. We've talked about that before. Um, Those are things that can impact an entire organization. It only takes one person opening a phishing email or downloading a malicious EXE file to infect an entire network of computers. Well, and we could talk about phishing too. The biggest thing that you can do to prevent that is to keep an eye on your address bar. If you're going to be putting your username and password or worse, your credit card information somewhere, just take a quick cursory glance at the address bar of your browser. The domains that you're going to see there, they may try to spoof the name. They might be something that sort of looks like it. You know, we see PayPi with an I instead of an L. Or domains with funny TLDs on the bottom of them, like Google, but with no E dot co. Things like that are going to be your biggest indicator that you might be being fished. Anything unexpected. If you're unsure and you're about to enter your credentials, retype the domain name into the address bar that you were expecting. If you're going, if you're getting Netflix spelled F-L-I-C-K-S, 
retype Netflix with your IX in there so that you know 100% that you're entering your credentials into the right place. And if you're not sure and you're doing this at the office, I guarantee there's somebody there who is paid to know what is good and what is not good. That's what they're there for. Use those IT resources and make sure that you're asking because they're going to appreciate the question much more than they're going to appreciate fixing a bricked computer. Sure. And if you are the person who is being paid to know that, consider using a filtration system that filters traffic for all of your users and filters out known bad IP addresses, known phishing sites. There are lists of these blacklists available that you can use to filter internal traffic so that your employees can't possibly go to a phish site and enter credentials into it. Similar to phishing in that uh, we're dealing with something trying to pretend to be something it's not. We land on the sort of scareware pop-ups that we see from time to time. You go to one site and you're immediately redirected somewhere else and now all of a sudden there's a pop-up saying, oh my goodness, you have a virus. We're Microsoft. We totally checked and you have a virus. It's terrible. You have to call this number now right away. We also, you see this on, on phones where you, you pull up a site on your mobile device and it says your Samsung Galaxy is, is hacked and you need to download this APK to you get it fixed. And those are going to trip the the sort of sketchiness sensors of, of most of our users. But uh, all it takes is one to get through and cause some, some real trouble. So be on the lookout for those sorts of things. Don't install something that you didn't seek out to install. And if something is telling you you have a virus and it's not the same thing that always bugs you when you try to open something you're not supposed to, don't trust it. It's probably going to give you the virus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And those pop-ups are really just a kind of new automated form of social engineering, which is something that we've seen a lot of in IT and security in particular. It sounds cheesy, but I like to tell people, be a human firewall. Be aware of social engineering tactics. Just because somebody calls you and says they're from Microsoft or from the IRS doesn't mean they're, they are. Never accept a phone call and give somebody your vital information, usernames, passwords, social security number. If they're saying that they're from a legitimate company, they should have no problem with you hanging up and calling that company directly to ensure that you are, in fact, speaking to who you think you are. Do not trust Robert Hackerman from the county password inspector's office. <laughs> I don't even know what to say after that. <laughs> it's so good. And and no, we joke about the, the prevalence of these people just calling up and asking for passwords. But there have been studies that have shown that the majority of users are happy to give up their password for the, the mere promise of a chocolate bar. You can look this one up. It's hilarious. But they're going to be using a lot more sort of vicious tactics. They're going to try to spearfish you and say that I am Steve from IT and we're going to turn off your network if you don't do this. Or this is the CEO calling down to the, the finance office. We need to route a million dollars to this account ASAP. And people fall for those. You always need to verify. Any, any change, anybody requesting information, verify. Trust but verify is is an important motto to have, especially when you're talking about tech. And there have also been studies showing that a lot of the compromises that occurred in our domestic power supply companies, like the San Francisco Electric Company, were because of spear phishing emails. So one entry-level call center employee opened up a, an email that he legitimately probably thought was from the CEO or from HR, clicked on an attachment, and all of a sudden about actor had access to shut off power for parts of San Francisco. That's a really scary thought. Which is why it's so important that the end user is educated. If these sorts of 
catastrophic failures are, are something that's possible in the hands of somebody who had no idea they had access to it, that's something that requires a little bit of cinching up, so to speak. There is nobody in the marketplace today that is too good to know how to use their computer. Exactly. Yeah. You say you, know, you talk about there needing to be cinching up. You're really talking about gaps, but unknown, unknown gaps, right? You may not know where the knowledge gaps are. Call centers, large companies especially, they have high turnover rates. Their jobs are entry level a lot of times. It's important to automate as much of the security as possible and educate what you can't automate. Make sure that when they're coming in, your employees, your partners, your consultants all know what your security practices are and are well-versed in fundamental human security, not giving up passwords, using a password manager, all the things that we've talked about previously when it comes to web security also apply to endpoint or real life security. And don't make exceptions for somebody high up in the company. We we hear too often about, you know, we have these strict IT security policies, but there's a new director of uh, of managing managers or something, and he's too big for his britches, and he needs, you know, his own special email server in his house because he cooks pancakes on it when the CPU gets hot. I don't know. I don't know what these answers are, but people are going to try to get you to make exceptions. And the higher up they are, the more tempting it may be to cave, but it also means the more likely that breach is to be catastrophic. And catastrophic breach in a critical infrastructure is exactly what we're trying to avoid when we talk about this topic on a podcast. We want to educate the most base user to prevent that kind of catastrophe. That being said, what's your final tip for the day, Mikey? So we're wrapping up our tip of the week series on password security. And this one actually isn't technically about passwords, but it's about the authentication process. I'm going to talk to you guys about two-factor authentication. This is where you're getting a code sent to another device, be it a special hardware token, or in most cases, your phone. That could be a text or people use separate authentication services like Google Authenticator. What these are going to be doing is when you log into a service, you're also going to to be getting sent a code from that service. Now, this is just another factor to use in this login process to prove that you are who you say you are. Now, it doesn't just take your username and password to log in as you, but you also need to prove that you've got your device with you. This is really going to go miles in preventing things like password breaches at Yahoo from causing a sort of that cascade of issues where one password is compromising a dozen accounts because it doesn't matter if they have that password now because they still don't have your phone. Not all services out there are going to be using or enabling two-factor just yet, but it's getting more and more common. And the biggest use case that I can recommend is your Gmail or Google accounts. Um, These of course, are going to integrate very nicely into Google Authenticator, giving you a handy interface to use on your phone to generate codes, which you can then use to log in on your desktop or a new computer that you just purchased, just to make sure that you are who you say you are. Thank you, Jessica and Michael. It's always good to remember to protect your website and your systems in every way possible, endpoint security being one piece of that puzzle. Also, thank you again to our listeners, and be sure to check out our next episode where we will explain why you're never too small to be hacked. The music, a beat Forever by Kevin McLeod of Incomputech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Decoding Security is hosted by Jessica Ortega and Michael Veenstra and produced by Topher Tebow for Sitelock. <laughs>